0: Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with Peter Hawkins and this is a really important conversation. We're going to dive into the paradigm shift that Peter and I see we are going through and its implication for coaches. Peter is a systemic coach and a trainer of systemic coaches, which is an approach that focuses on the interconnectedness and the interdependence of various elements within a system such as the individuals teams organizations and the wider systems they serve including the more than human world so we'll talk about how can we cultivate systemic awareness in an embodied sense not just in a conceptual way so that it becomes something lived and expressed inside of the coaching and the relevance for this type of approach for leadership coaches peter is a professor of leadership at henley business school Chairman of Renewal Associates, is the president of the Academy of Executive Coaching, and he's a global thought leader in systemic coaching and systemic team coaching. He's trained coaches in over 50 countries, he's been coaching boards and executives for over 40 years, and he's a prolific writer as well, recommends systemic coaching and some of his other books. So that all being said, let's dive in, here's the podcast with Peter Hawkins. Peter, it's a delight to be with you again. And uh, well, let me check first how you are today.
1: Great. And uh, a real pleasure to be with you, uh, Joel. Uh, I've enjoyed all our conversations and uh, I'm feeling good because just come back from going to a beautiful opera yesterday by Richard Strauss, which was uh, quite sublime.
0: Mm. Mm, Nice. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and it's been too long since we got you on the podcast, actually. It feels like we should have had you a lot sooner than this. And I've really appreciated our connection and our conversations recently. And I think that's what we're going to get into today, some of the things we've been talking about, which is primarily the shifts that we're going through in the wider world, in a kind of worldview and paradigm shift. And inside of that, the impact that this is having on coaches and the field of coaching. And then we'll get into things like these these topics that you're also very well known for, systemic coaching, ecosystemic coaching. And it's worth noting here, you're going to be one of the teachers in our upcoming program for coaching leaders, for coaches who coach leaders. And so a lot of the stuff we'll be talking about today is is stuff you're going to be going into in much more detail in that program. So uh, I think the first question then to kick off with is maybe you could just talk a little bit about the wider world in terms of this shift we're going through and how that you see that impacting coaching.
2: So a
1: couple of years back, Joel, I wrote a couple of articles for – Association of Coachings Journal, the Hesi Einzig edits. And basically um, it came out of some conversations I had with my good friend and colleague Giles Hutchins. And what we looked at were, you know, what what are the great challenges in the world from
3: climate change, loss of biodiversity, global inequality, rise
1: of uh, distress, suicide, mental illness. And and, and we look at kind of seven major challenges and, and, and positively at heart, all of those are just symptoms of one major challenge. And that is they're all symptoms of the failure of human consciousness to be what's needed for the world that we as humans have now created. And, and, and it's very interesting the... Um, There's a whole new collaborative movement looking at what's called inner development goals. But what needs to shift in the the human learning and human curriculum for us to have any chance of succeeding in addressing the UN 17 sustainability goals, which are really essential for kind of global survival.
3: And and so, you know, I, I suppose over the last... 10 years, my my major concern is how does coaching play its contribution in shifting human consciousness? Yeah? Not helping
1: individuals solve their short-term problems or get promotion or grow their brand and their ego. But how do we see every aspect of coaching It's just one small contribution to shifting global human consciousness. And that means we as coaches constantly have have to push the edge of what does that mean to shift human
3: consciousness? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that touches me because that's something that coaches rising, we really care about. And in a way, how do you see coaches doing that? You know, how do you think coaching can play a role in shifting human consciousness and And I guess in a way, like, where are we failing or not quite up to the standard of that at the moment?
1: Well, if we say that, um, and I know uh, you've recently been reading Ian McGill, great magnum opus, you know, The the Matter with Things, and his earlier book, um, The Master and the Emissary. He and and I, and a lot of things I've written in the past, have talked about how how we've shrunk Human consciousness from from what was originally participatory consciousness, where where us the community, the ecology, what what were all interconnected we, we, you know we shrunk through the probably I Gilchrist says from the medieval age, but you know it was accelerated with the industrial revolution, the growth of um, um, capitalism, the both of colonize the growth of colonization where more and more we shrunk human consciousness to left hemisphere neocortex thinking. And coaching has been part of that, which is it's left hemisphere coaching is where we see the individual as the client. We ask them what do they want to talk about? We address each of their problems as separate problems. Yeah, And and we encourage them to do their thinking, but mainly left hemisphere thinking. And what we're now seeing is that, you know, if if all you're doing is um, left hemisphere coaching, AI can do it much better than we can. You know, it now has the bank of the world's best coaching questions. It now can match its tonality and its voice and its language to that of the, the coachee. It can help the coaching, you know, think and reflect and um, it can do its timing. So so all of that, the kind of coaching made its name in doing for, you know, from
3: the late 70s to the, the millennium, uh, all of that, AI can do better than we can.
1: And what's so desperately needed is coaching that goes beyond that, which is, finding that return journey from left hemisphere-focused work, gender-driven client, seeing the client as the coachee, coachee coachee-driven, individualistic, to actually seeing coaching as not done by the coach and the client not being the person opposite them, person opposite them being their coaching partner. Where together we're asking, We're shoulder to shoulder. We're both looking at what's the agenda that life is providing the coaching. What's the work that they can't do by themselves or with,
3: with a good AI coach bot,
1: right, that they can't do by themselves, I can't do for them, but together we can. So how do we see coaching as a collaborative inquiry, as the Americans would say, with a with an eye rather than an E, a uh, A joint discovery process of, of of what is what is the fastest route to the learning edge. The client doesn't have the answer. I don't have the answer. But we are both clear that life is requiring us to find not necessarily an answer but a response. So that we're we're on life's agenda, not my agenda or the coach's agenda.
0: Yeah, these there's some big ideas in what you're sharing there. So I think it's worth taking some time just to unpack some of those and contrast this kind of right hemisphere, less left hemisphere type of coaching. And I guess one question I might have is, do you still see that they will complement each other in some way? This is where maybe AI and human coaches might begin to work together.
3: Um, y- yes, but... Um... No, not necessarily at the same time.
1: So, so if somebody wants to, um, look at, you know, think through their options, and AI can probably do that quite well. If we want to go into a partnership coaching, so we're not, it's not one to one coaching, it's one with one coaching, where we're coaching with and through the other. Then, as you know, in the book I did with Eve
3: Turner on systemic coaching, I argue quite strongly that from the word go, not second
1: or third or fourth session, but the very first meeting, there are, there are three or four things we need
3: to do. The first is we need to make embodied, heartfelt connection. So the first thing I want to do when I
1: meet you, Joel, is to say, you know, t- 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 tell me about you, but, but, but don't tell me the way you t- you repeat it when you're presenting for interviews. T- tell me the story of your life in two minutes from the moment you were born to arriving here right now. Yeah? Or tell me, my, my, my second question often is, t- take me to a moment, Joel,
3: where your heart was singing. And tell me about that. Because I want, I, I, I want to, from the word go, not start on a, an
1: atomized agenda, but on that you know, we have connected at depth,
3: in presence together. Then I can open up the systemic field. Then I can say, so, so Joel, t- tell me, who does your life... And your work, serves. You know, I'm sure
1: we'd be very soon. We'd, you'd be talking about you know, your three and a half year old daughter, isn't it? Your, your wife, your um, what you care about in coach rising, what your purpose is, what your passion is. You know, and then I would say, all right, if, you know, if we brought in your your partner in coach rising, your wife, your daughter. We brought in all the people who listen to your podcasts, people you're training and we put them all around the room what would they be saying is the work you and I need to be doing together mm-hmm. so, so very quickly we're moving to opening up the field we're opening up your whole world of, of, of very varied stakeholders and we're trying to look at through them, what is life knocking on Joel 's door asking him to step up to what's, what's the learning edge where, where you could hear half hear the knock on the door
3: but you don't know quite how to open the door
0: I want to ask about the learning edge in a moment. you've mentioned that twice, but first, uh, what 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 becomes possible when working in this way, as opposed to, you, you know, just maybe coaching uh, an individual uh, disconnected from the stakeholders, you know, just asking about the, the client, what do you want? What's diff- What becomes possible? Why do this basically? What? Because
3: in this journey from, Return journey out of the left hemisphere.
1: It's not two kind of analytical heads talking to each other. We, we're, we're first of all opening up the right hemisphere, the the um, uh, the, the, the area of intuition, the area of oasis of coaching. Tell me what that
0: word means as well.
1: Yeah, but is the poetry making um, where. Um, and I'll talk about this when when we do the um, the sessions together for, for your new course. But but T. S. Eliot, one of the great mystical poets of the twentieth century, said poetry should communicate before it is understood. So when we're working at depth together, we've got that heart connection that that actually. Language starts to get formed before, before we can really understand it with our left hemisphere, where there's a, there's a, a felt discovery. Yeah? Um, and, and it's from that right hemisphere, metaphorical language, that, that we are also connected with our heart brain. Because poetry goes to the heart and it bypasses as does music, it bypasses our analytical understanding
3: and it opens the heart and the intuition. And out of that, um, that is the route into the kind of the gut brain, which is where we
1: mobilise new action. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, people would rely on coaching, having a, a moment of insight. All oh, right, aha, an aha moment. And from that, they would make an action plan. And that was all done with the left hemisphere. And then coaches would be, be a little shocked and surprised when the coachy would come back. And despite the aha moments and the good intention, nothing had changed, right? Yeah. And coaches, we've, got, we've had to wake up to the fact that the intentions happen in the left hemisphere. Yeah, cortex, but, but, but that's not where change happens. Change is always embodied. Yeah. We yeah. need to mobilize the heart brain, the gut brain, the, the embodiment.
2: Yeah.
0: It's really beautiful. Tell me a bit more about the, you know, you talked about this conversation with Giles Hutchins, and he was on the podcast recently, uh, The Shift in Human Consciousness. So maybe it's like I think you're starting to really beautifully paint this picture now of a of a of a a different way of coaching but also a different way of seeing the world and what we are as human beings and could you speak more into how this would lead to embodied change and therefore a shift in consciousness and and in a sense like how might we then start to collaborate or create or lead in different ways if if we were coached in this way and we we led in this way?
1: So
3: there was um, a lovely moment when I was working with chief executive
1: and uh, he said, Peter, what, what I want is... I just said, pause there. I said, our work isn't to discover what you
3: want. Our work is to discover what's necessary. And there was a frisson in the room. Yeah. Oh. And suddenly the coaching changed. Yeah. And
1: and I translated that recently. I, I think I shared it with you recently, Joel. My my four steps from, from grumble to
3: gratitude. Where so often when we're coaching people in the privileged white Western world, yeah,
1: um, what, what we discover is coaches who come along despite the fact they're incredibly privileged, got senior jobs, leaders in organisations, paid enormous amounts of money, yet they'll come along with their grumbles What I uh, refer to as um, BMWs, polluting BMWs, which stands for Blame, Moan and Wine. Yeah. You know, I was with some very powerful senior partners in one of the big four professional services firms. And they were sitting around talking about um, who was the most time poor and how exhausted they were. And they had so much to do. And they were you know, who is more time poor than the other? And I sort of grouped with him. And I said, Can you just pause a second? I said, I- I'm a little puzzled. Perhaps you could help me because you keep talking about being time poor. But as far as I know, we all have exactly the same number of seconds and minutes and hours in the day as each other. You know, how can we be time rich or time poor? I said, What, what would happen if we talked about being opportunity rich? Aren't we lucky to have more things to do in the day than there are moments to do them in? So we've got all this choice. What a privilege. And suddenly the, it, the room changed. And they came back to the next uh, group session I had with them, and they said, you know that phrase you used? Every time one of our people come to us and talks about they don't have enough time, we say, oh, but your opportunity rich. <laughs> So he started to apply it to the people they were managing. But, but you know, that's just a, a moment of you know, metanoia, of turning and looking from a different direction. But, but what people bring often is problems, right? So the very simple step we can all do as coaches is every time someone uses the word problem, we just gently play it back without making an issue of it as a challenge, so you know, you come along, Joel, and perhaps you tell me about this difficult person who's meant to be doing this work for you and doesn't do it. And I say,
3: so I hear, Joel, you have a uh, a challenge in how you partner with Jane. You say, yeah, but Jane is such a difficult person. I say, um, so
1: she's the person taking you to your learning edge, or. Of such, she's, she's your latest teacher. She's the person who's taking you to the point of how you don't, where you don't know yet how a partner. Right. So that's step one. Always turn the problem into a challenge and then locate the challenge not in you or
3: the other person, but in a connection. So you can say we're not coaching individuals, we're always coaching
1: connections. Not not necessarily interpersonal connections, it could be team-to-team connection, department-to-department, sales-to-production-to-finance connection, organisation-to-stakeholder connection, human-to-the-more-than-human world connection. Ultimately, our work is in coaching connections.
0: And this reminds me of, I did write something when I was reading Ian McGill-Chris's book this weekend, where he wrote, relationships are primary, more fundamental than th- the things they connect, the things related. They don't just connect things, but modify what we mean by things, which in turn modifies everything around them. And as you describe this way of coaching, it, it I hear... Um, and I want to make sure I get this right. It's like if we're in a world of things, it becomes it can become static and reified. And uh, I could see, therefore, how you know, um, if everything is parts and reduced to parts, you know. And I'm in my left hemisphere. I'm I'm kind of you know oriented towards um, how I can fix things, you know, and 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 solve problems. And it it has a very different flavor than this world of relationships that you're articulating where something becomes like workable. It's like a flow, a process, you know? And so my very way of holding it then um, changes and, and and something quite potent is opening Mm. up like a a potential or a, a movement, you know, like, like, Oh, there's a flow here, which might be maybe less optimum than it could be, but it's a flow. Therefore something becomes workable. Mm.
1: Yes, I think Emil Gilchrist is very much in the tradition of the person who most influenced me when I was young, which was Gregory Bateson. He very much talked about, you know, we 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 are trained to see things. Right? For the moment, parents and school educate us. You right? say, oh, there is a tree. There is a lamp, there is a cloud. He said, that's not how nature works. Right? And he says that, Gregory Bateson says that real madness is where, you know, in order to make sense of the world, analytically, we draw boundaries. We, We apply the analytical scissors to the seamless web. We say that is a tree. And we don't see, you know, Actually, that tree has got as much life underground as it has above ground. And it's absolutely intermeshed with the mycelin and the the fungi and the other trees and the earth and the small creatures. And, yeah, we we apply the analytical scissors and we cut something out, the seamless web. He said, but true madness is when we do that, which is useful, but we then think the cut is in reality
3: rather than something we have created. And, and part of his work was, how do we see, as you put it, a more
1: Taoist notion of flow and connection? How do we, how do we reconnect within ourselves the, the, the interconnected web? How do we sew it back together again, rather than live in a world of problems and fragments?
2: And actually, I feel
0: as you speak about that, um, the embodiment of that. So, uh, you know, this, this conversation itself is a partnership in a sense that we're, we're serving life, Life, you know, life has a, has a kind of purpose for us inside of this conversation. And the people listening to this conversation in this moment, too, are, are part of that, that interconnection and and I can feel the embodied feeling of that now as you begin to articulate mm. it that it's not just you know a conceptual idea, but actually that it begins to impact the way that I see you and me and the th- and this kind of third entity that we are and that includes the listener and uh, you know mm. the, the po- you mentioned poetry earlier, like it has a kind of meaningfulness to it, a kind of intelligence a kind of heartfelt intelligence to it.
3: Mm. So who's creating this podcast right now? You know, we could say, well, you're,
1: you're interviewing me, or we could say, together we're having a dialogue that's creating, or we can say, actually, it's the future listeners who we are speaking to, who out of linear time are also creating, you know, it's the audience that creates the talk as Krishnamurti would always say. Um, But we could also say it's created out of your whole history and ancestry and mine and all all the experiences we've had and it's created by the, the clients
3: I have learned from and coached and teams I have coached. Yeah. And how
1: I was brought up and what we've read and Gregory Bateson and Ian McGillchris are on this podcast with us, and so is to Sue. And
3: so, so who is creating this podcast?
0: And we can begin to be like this in our coaching sessions too. Uh, you know that um, as we can include all these influences, this interconnected web of influences. Like, I, like, like I'm, I can, I'm feeling the shift in consciousness, you know? That's a good way to put it. Like, it's a felt shift in consciousness. And, and it feels like something here, something's possible here now that wasn't before I felt the shift. And, yeah, I'm feeling how that could be the case in the work we do with leaders. So, um, yeah. Yeah uh that's that's very striking to me, and I had another point, which is um, oh yeah, so I'm just curious what you think about I want to ask you again about the learning edge, some of these other points, but this embodiment of this, and then the necessity for you know what I might call individual work or or integrative work, you know, like what is my capacity as a coach or a leader to to feel my interconnectedness with everything around me and to mm.
3: um,
0: ha- have that be a, a something. Yeah. See, it's very difficult in the language, isn't it? Because as soon as it's very easy to talk about this in a way that then makes me separate from this web, you know, but in a sense to be, to feel my interconnectedness and my relatedness, and then for that to, to guide me and to, to lead to, a, a you know, uh, a more thriving world.
1: So let's, let's take this to a very kind of grounded, earthed practicality. Because this requires that, that I show up with all of me. You know, we, were taught, we were taught to leave our experience outside the room, which is, <laughs> I never discovered how, how you do that, you know. I, how do you get the experience out of you and park it somewhere? I don't know. But, but we can enter the room without, um, what was it, Wilfred beyond said, without memory or desire. We could enter, with, as also Sharma says, with, um,
3: open mind, open heart, open will. But to be fully present, attending to, to the emergent. what is showing up
1: and to do that I have to listen not just to what you say but I have to listen also through you I have to listen to everyone who appears in your story I think you know Joel I I introduced this 2018 I think I came up with this notion of wide-angled empathy because having trained many many Counselors, like therapists, coaches, consultants, I discovered we've taught them so well, so well to be empathic to the person who's opposite them that they start to see the world through that other person's eyes. Right? And they start to see all these awful people who that person has to manage and difficult customers and toxic bosses, and we start to believe this. You know, we I get lost in your story. Whereas if I listen through you with wide-angled empathy, I really focus on having as much empathy for
3: everyone in your story as I do for you. I'm not here to be on your side. Mm. I'm here to be on the side of what needs to to emerge and be given birth to. Yeah. bit like, you know, a... Uh, 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 I I worked with some radical
1: midwives and they they tell me that it's amazing how many times some of them had worked in many countries, um, like in Africa, um, doing midwifery, radical midwifery. And how many times mothers halfway through the birth process say, I've changed my mind, I don't want to have the baby. (laughs) Uh, Actually, you're you're not there on the mother's (laughs) side, right? you're not there on the baby you're on the side of what needs to happen you're on the side of life giving birth to the baby that makes sense yeah and in some ways it's the same with coaching we're on the side of of, of of not the coachee or the person they're talking about but really listening to what's trying to get born here what's trying to get birthed here
0: do you have an example of where you might have brought that into the conversation? You know, like what, what
2: wants to happen here, this wide-angled empathy?
3: Um, I, I was supervising someone
1: last week, and I was thinking about this when we saying metaphors, because he was, or he or she were, Talking about the plan they had and, um, uh, who brought them in to help with a team and an organization. And it first we brought in because, uh, this particular director was a real bastard. And you know, how do we get rid of him appropriately? Could, could he, could he help with that? And, um, very soon afterwards, the second conversation was about how somebody else was a bastard. And, um, I, I suddenly started laughing. My supervisor said, well, what are you laughing about? I said, well, um, I, I'm wondering um, what's happening in the culture that's creating so many bastards. Perhaps they need to discover what needs to be married up, that, that bastards don't, get, don't keep being created. <laughs> and it, was, it was this whole play on bastards and marrying, right? Yeah. And then we laughed together that um so um you know um and, and it was partly because many years ago I'd done a bit of family history and I'd gone back before Ancestry and all these, and I'd gone back to a church and looked up some um some old, you know, eighteenth century um relatives and there was one father unknown. And, and the vicar said to me, oh, in those days, we were a parish of bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in some ways, you know, that metaphor, we, we create bastards in organisations because there is no, things are not married up. Hmm. And, um, and so there we, we shifted from looking at
3: the person who brought the issue isn't wrong. But the, the people they want to get rid of are not wrong. But, but actually,
1: the, the cultural pattern, you know, they'll, 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 they'll get rid of those two, and then somebody else will become the problem, and then get rid of them, and somebody else will become the problem. And this happens so often. You know, we have executives who think, are caught in this um, myth, that if only they can get rid of all the bad
3: apples, everything will be okay. If only they appoint the perfect team, everything will be okay. Mm.
1: If only we reorganize, <laughs> everything will be okay. And, and, and part of our, our our importance as coaches is is to help people not disappear down um, life defeating cul-de-sac answers. To open up, what's the deeper pattern? that's requiring us to really listen to and uh, and what what is to happen? What need, do we need to shift here to help shift our consciousness to shift that pattern that is just repeating destructively?
2: How can we? And when you say here for people listening, you mean what's? How can we shift what's here between us? Is that
3: what you mean? Yes, so so I always say that that our
1: awareness needs to start outside in and future back. We need to bring the stakeholders into the room, the wider system, the field. You know, I will often ask coaches, well, "What what are you going to regret in two years' time not us not having explored today?" Yeah, because. I've discovered in coaching we get caught in you know, looking at last week's problems or last month's problems or last quarter's problems, right? rather than looking at what's coming over the horizon. Yeah, you know, just just look at what happened around COVID. Mm. In most Western countries, despite the fact we knew there was going to be a pandemic, were totally unprepared. Right, so I think part of our job is is to is to help people look at balance looking at what's happening right now and what's coming to the horizon. But change always happens in the moment. Mm. So i often have to ask what is the shift in me to shift our connection, Joel set to, to help shift how, how you're seeing the world of the stories you've bought, to shift your connection with that world for that world to be able to transform.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: they happened just now, and I thought I became very conscious of the people
3: listening to us. I thought, oh, I think, gosh, these men have gone in very abstract, right? What was it? What was that actually
1: look like? <laughs> yeah, you know, I suddenly could hear their voice through you and beyond you. So I thought, wait a moment, I've got to shift. So yeah, can-
0: beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Good. And let's keep, let's keep doing that. Let's keep grounding things. Um, and cause I want to, I do want to come to this notion of a learning edge that you mentioned as well. And what is that for you? Why is that important?
3: Be- because, and I think I first learned this from um, Krishnamurti um, and
1: David Bohm, who was the great nuclear scientist who, who was a, a, a follower of Krishnamurti, and he went from being a Nobel Prize winning scientist to being really interested in dialogue. And, and David Bohm said, you know, it's amazing how we spend <clears throat> nearly
3: all of meetings exchanging pre cooked thoughts, right? Not thinking live together. So
1: when I coach teams, I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, I coach them live in their, their normal business as usual meetings. I'm looking out for what, where does the team start to create new thinking that was in nobody's
3: head before they arrived at the meeting? Yep. And it's amazing how few teams do that because, because that, that's the power we have. And that means
1: we have to frame in the meeting questions that none of us can answer by ourselves. We have to be able to frame what what is the collaborative inquiry challenge that life's presenting us that needs a collective synergized brain power to, Mm. to engage with. And it's the same in coaching. I mean, just how quickly can we get to the point where neither
3: of us has an answer. But, but, but we're, we're looking at necessity and what life's requiring head on, right? Mm. And then at that
1: point, you know, I think all good meetings, all, all creative meetings, all creative dialogues, or creative coaching happens at that point. At that point, A lot of people will panic and they'll they'll turn to the coach and say, so what should I do, Joel? What should I do? Or they'll say to the team, come on, so what's the answer?
3: And that's where we have to have the, the moral courage to say,
1: I've no idea, Joel, but it sounds like that's what we have to work out together. That's what we have to discover
0: yeah yeah exactly. and I think that speaks to this paradigm too, like of uh, being able to uh, be on that edge, you know to f- and and how I think that requires us to be in our participatory right hemisphere experience, you know off the full spectrum, our embodied life because you know it's our rational minds which are, needing to know the answer trying to solve the problem but there's this you know i know it in my coaching very very well like this um aliveness this felt experience when you get to that edge if it's possible to make that okay you know to to say could we could we just welcome right now that we're not sure or maybe you even feel some pressure to solve this or there's some fear and that 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 has a that's a type of consciousness that has a very particular feel to it. And, and, and um, you can, they can feel like things begin to emerge at that point, you know, like it feels like you access a place where um, things emerge that hadn't been seen or
2: thought before.
1: So let me just capture two other ways we can lose the moment. What One is that we, we, under the pressure from the client,
3: we try and be helpful. We try and make up something that will help. Because we like to be liked and we like to be helpful.
1: And another way, traditionally, coaches have, because of the way we've trained them in the past, was say, um, I'm sure. what's your answer? And they'll throw it back at the person. Which actually is, I think, deeply...
3: Um, unfeeling and not listening because you're not hearing that the emotion of the cloud at that moment is I'm now frightened and anxious because I know I need to find an answer and I don't have one and, and as you were talking I was thinking there's a
1: third which I hadn't thought of before there's a third way that we could lose the moment which is to comment on it and say, well, I think what's happening right now is you're feeling I know that's not what you meant, Joel, but you know, we, we can go into a commentary on rather than a being with. Mm. And I'm just struck by how those are three three ways
3: we we lose that poignant moment of both being me- metaphorically Naked in front of what we don't know. Mm. In the place of unknowing together. Yeah.
0: Because um, maybe this brings up the question then of the role of a coach coaching leaders in our times. You know to come back to that question. That's what you're going to be teaching in this program on leadership coaching, and this whole conversation has been about that. But yeah, in the light of where the conversations led us and everything we've covered, you know what? Yeah, what comes
2: up in the response to that?
3: Um. Well, it, in this book I'm writing on
1: um, my my next book for Routledge on on beauty
3: in life, leadership, and coaching. I'm trying to bring those like three worlds together,
1: and I'm seeing beauty as a sort of great guide to the return journey from left hemisphere,
3: neocortex thinking. Beauty awakens us to that which is um, beyond us,
1: to to the bigger life, to the more than human world. And and awe is the response to to actually the, the, the overwhelming, incredible beauty
3: and resourcefulness of creation and life. Yeah. And interestingly, I, it was going back to me this weekend with what's been happening
1: around um, Trump in America being caught, Boris Johnson um, being debated today in Parliament, uh, the fact that you know, he was an inveterate liar, before he was Prime Minister and while he was Prime Minister and since he was Prime Minister. And and I recall this phrase that I used when I gave quite a lot of leadership talks, which was, leadership begins when we stop blaming others or making excuses.
3: Boy, is that a tough sentence. Yeah. I'd like to add to that now. This is a
1: phrase I was using way back on talks I was giving on leadership To say, leadership begins also when we get off our own agenda and we start to look at what's requiring to be done. And, you know, that moment where you look around and no one else is doing it, you think, okay, I'll step forward.
3: In my life, I've started four or five organisations, maybe six.
1: and I didn't mean to start any of them. I didn't set out with a vision. I was going to start this. All you know, each time it's been because I've been looking at what, what's emerging around me, what, what's in the field, what's, what's needing to be done, what's coming over the horizon, and thought, well, you know, obviously, the, 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 this is this is what's needed, and I couldn't see anyone doing it. And I thought, come on, somebody, <laughs> and eventually. Reluctantly, I found, well, I better start an organization to deal with this. So that makes sense. So, so, you know, now I'm uh, past the age where most of my family think I should be retired. Um, And yet, what I see is that there is such a need in the world, not, not for individual coaches or team coaches or facilitators or consultants. But people who can connect depth change at the individual level, the team level, the team of teams, the organization, the organization's way of partnering with all their stakeholders, the, the stakeholder world, the ecosystem level, that the human more than human. they can connect change at all those levels. There's lots of people who can work at one of those levels, but, but what's needed is we have to realise that, that all those levels, you know, are interconnected. When an when, when individual coachee walks into the room, the team dynamic comes in inside them, the organisational culture comes in inside them, the, 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 the human consciousness comes in inside them, the, the ecology is there in the room inside them. Hmm. Can we, can we sense so so on on the sessions I'm doing with you, we'll do some very practical work about how do we open and expand our ability to be present to the individual, interpersonal the team, the team in relationships, the teams above below, upstream, downstream, the organizational culture,
3: stakeholder world. Yeah ecosystem and actually sense how they're all present
1: in the moment and why does that make so much difference? Is because we stop this, this terrible disease that we're
3: all part of in the West of, of seeing everything as personal and interpersonal yeah and sadly I think we as coaches
1: have um, being part of increasing that disease, of getting people to take things personally and try and resolve them personally and interpersonally. And Barry Oshry, who wrote that lovely book called Seeing Systems and another one called Leading Systems, he said, you know, more than 95% of what happens in organisations is not personal, but we take it
3: personally. Yeah.
0: Do you think that is uh, like how? uh, What's the question? Is like how possible is it for us to begin to include all those different levels of systems within our workers, coaches, with leaders?
1: It's very possible, but but it's totally impossible if we try and do it with our left hemisphere neocortex. If we're trying to say, oh, now I'm going to look at, the, oh, what's going on for you, John? And, oh, what, what's going on with your daughter and your wife? Oh, and what's going on with um, coach-rising management group? And, oh, what's going on with your numbers? And Oh, what's going on with the coaching profession and AI? And, uh, you know, I, I'll go mad very quickly.
0: Yeah, exactly, because you're trying to boom, 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 hold it all in your kind of uh, computing system, and it just doesn't, you can't do that, yeah? so. We're, we're, we're only conscious, Joel, of, of less than, way less than
1: 2% of what's going on in our own bodies. And, and they, they, I've been told by a, a brain scientist that, that if we were aware of more than 2% of what, what our body is computing all the time, right, we would go mad. Mm. Right? Our, 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 our neocortex would get overwhelmed. And yet, we train consultants and coaches to try and process lots and lots of more data. And they're never changing. By the time you processed it, the world's moved on. It's too late to do anything about it anyway. You know, if you want, to, if you if you think your work is to process everything by left hemisphere neocortex, that's what AI is there for. Yeah,
3: yeah. you you can be with it. You can train. You know. The good news is, if you stop trying to do it with your left hemisphere neocortex, you
1: let your whole body just listen to what's emerging at all those levels in a participatory way, and you let that, you just open your being to that.
3: Your being is quite capable of doing that. Because it's not you doing it. You've just got out of the way. Life is quite capable of responding fully to life.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful.
0: And, and, and again, like I feel the invitation as you share that, you know, there's something in my being that relaxes and actually probably points to you know, uh, something that a lot of coaches might feel, at least people working here in organizations, that they've got to try a bit harder, know a bit more. Do a you few know, more courses. Do a few more courses. If you could just, like, get that whole map and of, of existence and, and kind of place everything and make, you know, an infinite number of discernments, then suddenly you've got it, you know, and uh, it, this just feels like a qualitatively qualitatively different felt experience of like uh, interconnectedness and beingness and relaxation and that which allows for a different kind of knowing to come to the foreground.
1: And, And it's like a lot of the work I've done on coaching leadership
3: teams written about. Often the real turning point when I work leadership teams is where the CEO, the leader of the team, gets
1: to the point where they can say, look, these are all the, all the challenges I see from my vantage point of being CEO that, that we're going to have to face that are coming over the horizon They're with us today. <laughs> the baby others, but then says, and I can't solve any of them. Right.
3: I'm incapable of solving any of them. I need every one of you on my team to not just do your bit, but be shoulder to shoulder with me and how
1: we together can find a way of responding to those challenges.
3: That is often the turning point when the leader can really ask for help. Hmm. And, and it's the same with the coach. When you're at that
1: learning edge and the coach, he doesn't have the answer and you don't have the answer, but you both know an answer is required. In some ways, you know, coaches say, well, what, what, what do you do? You know, particularly if you're coaching an organization and it's critical and what happens next, you know really matters. And I say at that moment, you know, when I when I'm with a board the the organization is right on the line, I have no idea what to do. The only thing I do is pray. I said I don't mind who you pray to, as long as what you pray to is bigger than you are.
3: Mm-hmm. Right? I don't have the answer, you don't have the answer, but life has the answer. do you we, just think, need to, we need we need to tune into it yeah and do you think executives
0: are open to this way of leading and being with their teams and and you know the sacred even or the
2: the sense of like life has something in store you know life life has an agenda for me or for us
3: Um, I think they are but they rightfully aren't open to my sermonising
1: <laughs> so
3: I'm having to find now let me correct myself
1: each leader I sit down with, we are having to discover. Just notice that. I was about to say, I have to find. That's part of what we have to move away from. We have to discover, you, me, and you're the leader, that that we have to create, we have to co-create a new language, right?
3: which is
1: not my language or your language, but it's a language that is a response to,
3: to this triangle we're in of life, them and me. An appropriate language.
1: So, you know, I shouldn't end up speaking their language or them speaking my language. We should have created a new language together. And that's part of the poesis.
3: That's part of the. So, um, <laughs> That's part of, I think, the work we have to do. And that requires gender
1: sensitivity, culture sensitivity, an openness to interventions that we,
3: we struggle with halfway through the sentence. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What what I mean is that um,
1: many coaches I supervise they try and process a lot with their left hemisphere, and then they try and construct their intervention. By the time they, you know, the, the clients paused and they worked out in their head what the right intervention is, they, they miss the moment, yeah. Mm. When that sense that we're riding together, we're both struggling, we're both struggling to find. So we don't have the answer. If they don't have the answer, I don't have the answer. We don't have the answer, but we're having to discover it. Then we won't have ready made language for that. There will be a, there will be a, uh, uh, we're riding along on, like on horses on, on rocky ground and we're going to be stumbling. We're going to be, and sometimes um, they'll complete my sentence and sometimes I'll complete their sentence and, We'll come up with a sentence, and I won't know who's created the sentence.
3: Yeah? So going back to your, your question was, are, are leaders open to that?
1: Well, they have no choice but to be open to what life's curriculum is presenting them to. And, and if we can really get to the edge of what life's curriculum is presenting to them, they, have, they know they've got no choice but to be open to that, right? Mm. And once they've exhausted all the known ways of responding to that, then they're open to the unknown ways. Mm. <laughs> and when they've exhausted all the human ways of responding, then I, I, I feel people get to the point where we're open to the more than human ways of responding. Whether we think about that is um nature, the more than human world, the ecology, or we think about that in, in, in the sacred, or we think about that as the twelve steps of alcoholics anonymous, talk about it, the higher power, the wider world of creation. It doesn't really matter how we conceptualize it. All it matters is that. Once we see that life's requiring us to go beyond the known ways, and we've walked with them to the learning edge, we've exhausted the um
3: what the left hemisphere can do. Mm. Then we get open. We get open to the we have no choice. We don't have to worry about, oh, will they
1: be open to this or not?
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Just goes like to the place where there's no choice, yeah,
2: here's to that
0: we we We've covered a lot today, and just one quick thing then would be to ask um about you know in the program, I know you're gonna invite people into you know a kind of embodied learning and uh, the style of learning that you're gonna kind of bring in. Could you speak about that for a moment? well.
3: There's always a paradox,
1: um, which I constantly am trying to find creative ways of responding to, which is how do we teach ways of getting out
3: of the neocortex, not in neo left hemisphere neocortex ways of teaching? Yeah. Many many years ago, Plato talked about choriabantic learning and um it's a very interesting word the the, the choreobantic was
1: a form of dancing which was like dervish whirling yeah so so you know how do we spin the learning so that that you you can't just take lots of linear notes with your left hemisphere neocortex so we will we will bring in some poetry, people like Mevlana um, and Jalaluddin Rumi, Hafiz, some of the great Sufi poets. We'll bring in some Taoism. We will bring in some uh, modern poetry, but we'll also bring in
3: embodied visualizations. And I'm um, going to experiment with having a little bell with me. Right. And um, we will just do moments of stop. I invite those listening to pause and stop trying to think and just come into presence. To drop down from the words, to drop down from that. You can do it right now. Or fight a good bell doesn't quite pick up, but do it again. Sorry, i ruined your moment. Do it again. Just stop whatever you're doing, listening right now. Whether you're cooking or traveling, stop. You're driving, don't stop driving, but just don't close your eyes if you're driving, but stop and just become aware of the world inside you. Your in-breath. And then just follow your in-breath through your body. And take a breath in and just follow it. Just watch that breath
1: and the blood flow and everything just flowing through your body. And then until it, it exhausts
3: its journey within and then starts to flow out in your out-breath. out into the world until it disappears just notice that life is flowing into you constantly it's flowing through every, every cell of your being feeling it in your fingertips in your your toes your skin hairs on your skin it's flowing out of you Just watch to see where that out-breath goes. Where does it go to? But without any effort, the next breath starts coming in. Who's doing the breathing right now, John? Who's doing the breathing? Who's doing the coaching? Hmm. We're part of it. It's not us doing it. To end this, let me just share the last two steps, Grumble to Gratitude. Remember, step one was
1: turn all problems into challenges. Step two was to locate the challenges in a connection, in the dance, not in the dancers. Not in you, not in me, in the connection. Step three, which we started to talk about, is how do we see the challenge as the next generous lesson from life? How do we see our most difficult coaching clients,
3: the biggest crisis, the organisation, the pandemic, How do we see whatever happens is the next generous lesson from life? And step four is how do we find gratitude in our hearts for life sending us the next generous lesson? Hmm. Whether we want that lesson or don't want that lesson, how do we find gratitude for the fact that life Sent it to us. Mm. Beautiful.
2: Yeah, yeah. Particularly that, like
0: all of those, I can feel the reframe and the impact that has on me. And Peter, I want to thank you for uh, the quality of our conversation today and uh, the space that I'm in right now. I feel very touched by what we've spoken about. So. Thank you for being willing to be in this space, to be co-created together.
1: Thank you, Joel, because without you, we wouldn't have had this conversation. And uh, thank you to those who are listening, because without you listening, Joel would not have invited me to have this conversation with him. And
3: thank you to everything in life that's uh, brought us to this moment.
2: Would you like to point people towards your work, your website?
1: Uh, so I, I do um, do join me on LinkedIn because I do um, blog and I have a strict rule that every other thing I put on LinkedIn has to be a gift rather than something advertising something. Um, but also a lot of my blogs um some of which are quite provocative, um, can be found on www.renewalassociates.co.uk, our website. Um, And um, as they say, all all the books that I've written, um, including the future ones, will be uh, uh, available in all good bookshops. Or if you... um, don't find it unethical they're all on Amazon
2: thank you Peter
0: here we are we're at the end of the podcast just a a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create then head to coachesrising.com put your name in the sign up box there you'll also find some of our other offerings our online trainings for coaches there and just want to end by wishing you well and I'll see you again next time